So we waited. We tried to be patient. We tried to wait on the Lord. And, and so this morning, I think that he's fully sent us um, five men that are capable of leading this church as elders. Now, uh, here's just a little bit about me, and, and this is going to be a disconnect for us. Does anyone else read, study, research, and love church history? Okay, so when I'm up here talking, I might seem a little giddy and excited like a schoolgirl. I understand why you're not. Okay, I, I get this part. Um, but what I want you to see here is that Jesus is doing this. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building this structure. He's laying the foundation for himself to do many great things here. It's nothing about if we get the right leaders on the bus, if we do this certain structure, if we do this, then God will bless us. That's not what it is. What we're trying to do is fight as hard as we can to stay true to the structure and the leadership structure we see within the Bible. So, um, next week we'll be back in Toulouse. We'll keep rocking and rolling. But this week we're going to stop and I'm going to teach a little bit about what elders are and we're going to commission our elders and then we're going to take communion together. We're just going to celebrate what God is doing. Sound good? Good. Um, so raise your hand in here if you're married. Any marrieds? Okay, so part of my job with having a younger congregation now is uh, a lot of weddings and marriages and premarital counseling and all that that entails. Um, so typically when I do a wedding ceremony, here's what it looks like. The, the bride will come down, the groom cries like a little girl, and it's just a sweet moment. And Then I explain what marriage is and make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, and we're teaching the gospel as we go through that. And then I give a charge to the, the groom for how to lead his wife. And then I give a charge to the bride. And then we pray over it. And then I pronounce them husband and wife. So this morning, we're going to follow a very similar structure. I'm going to talk about what elders are and who they are and what they do and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and then I'm going to give a charge to the elders. And I'm going to give a charge to the church. Um, and then all the elders and their spouses are going to come sit up here and we're going to lay hands over the elders and pray. And then we're going to have communion and celebrate. So um, what are elders? What do you mean when you say elder? Why are we going elder-led? What does all this mean? What does it accomplish? Uh, here's the first definition for you guys. An elder is a servant leader shepherding the church to be more like Christ. Um, and so again, just show of hands. Raise your hand if you grew up in an elder-led church. Okay, so here's what I need you to hear me say, because I don't want to fist fight in the parking lot. I don't want to, you're going to beat me up, it's just not going to end well. Here's what I want you to hear me say. Um, I'm going to give you a couple reasons why we feel like the Lord has led us to be an elder-led church. This does not mean, everyone look at me, this does not mean I'm telling you the church that you've come from or your parent church is wrong. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time. I'm not trying to pick a fight with your home church. Do not have your deacons come up here and try to throw down with me in the parking lot. I, I don't want that fight. What I'm trying to say is us as a church, this is the way that we've studied scripture and it's led us to become an elder-led church. But I'm not saying, um, the beauty thing about we're, we're Baptists, we're just not very good at it. Um, within the Baptist faith and message is what all the Baptist churches sign that we agree to. Uh, there's enough ambiguity built in there so that a church can be elder-led or pastor-led or deacon-led. That's all built in within there. The 1925 Baptist Faith and Message, if you want to go that back that far, um, said that they were elder-led. Then the next version in the 60s said, no, we can do both. And so what I'm not trying to say is we're right, you're wrong, you should be like us. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we've prayed, we've studied, we've examined, and this is where we think the Lord is leading us. Are we good? Because I really don't want to get beat up today. 
We fine? All right. Um, so I know I said uh, 1 Timothy, but Acts 14, 23, I'm going to read this real quick just so you guys can get, get an understanding of what I'm talking about. And when, the, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Titus 1.5 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put on or put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. So as you study the New Testament, every single New Testament church has elders. Every single one. So as we're going through Scripture and as we're trying to understand how we're going to structure and govern the branch church, the first thing that we notice in the New Testament, every single New Testament church had elders, which goes into the second part, elders with an S. There was always a plurality of leadership within the church. Uh, And I think just for so many reasons, this is foundational for the church, primarily being, um, look at the Trinity, right? So God didn't come here to be this hierarchical, I'm in power and these guys are going to submit to me. No, he chose to set up the structure of the Trinity with God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, three in one working together. So we can't even make an argument from Genesis to Revelation that God believes in a one man leads this church, one man leads this thing Because scripture, we never see that. And for us, that is a really, really good thing for the church and for the man. Because for the church, uh, if you were to hang out with me, if you were to come to my house and really get to know me and know that I'm the sole leader of this church, you wouldn't be a member for very long. I mean, if you were to spend time with me, understand my sins, my shortcomings, you would say, I'm really going to trust you to make the decisions for the entire church? You're a moron. I know. That's why plurality of elders. But, but even for the other side, for me, for my, let me, let me just read some statistics for you. Did you know that 70% of pastors constantly fight depression? Did you know 50% of pastors feel so discouraged they would leave the ministry if they could, but they have no other way of making a living? Did you know that 50% of ministers start out and will not last five years in the ministry? that one out of every 10 ministers will actually retire as a minister in some form. Did y'all catch that? Only 10% of pastors will retire as a pastor. One out of 10. 4,000 new churches begin every year and 7,000 close. Over 1,700 pastors left the ministry or leave the ministry every month. And 1,500 pastors leave the ministry each month because of a moral failure, spiritual burnout, or contention within their churches. And here's probably the worst one for me. 50% of pastors' marriage ends in divorce. Now, there's a lot of speculation we could throw to some of those numbers, but here's the main thing I'll argue, because we're putting a pressure on pastors that is not biblical. That we're saying, you are God's man, you lead this thing, you lead this church, And it's just not biblical for us. We are not built to have that much structure, to have that much weight on our shoulders. And I I love you enough to say, I'm not going to be one of those statistics. I love my wife. I'm not going to lay my wife and our marriage down at the altar of building this thing. So plurality of leadership, plurality of elders is where we need to go because one man can't bear that level of responsibility. My argument would be based on scripture, if we were to work to maintain and and keep churches moving to a plurality of leadership, genuine shared leadership, 
that these numbers would start to go down. Here's the other part, and this is where some of you are going to get really mad at me. I just, in general, congregationalism, which is kind of the opposite side, that, that you guys as members of the church have a vote on every single thing that your church does. Uh, at some level, that can just be very dangerous, and it can slow things down very much. Now, eldership can be very dangerous too, don't get me wrong. Uh, here's, here's what I mean. I was an intern at a church one time, and this guy, was, he was walking around the foyer, kind of checking things out, and looked really perturbed. And I said, well, sir, like, it was a Tuesday. I was like, can I, can I help you with something? He said, yeah, my, my daughter's getting married here next week, and this place is a wreck. So I kind of looked around, and went, well, you know, it, looks, it looks good to me. He was like, what happened to the pews? <laughs> I said, are you, are you talking about in, in there? What happened to the pews? He's like, yeah, y'all replaced them with chairs. And lovingly, I said, Sir, we did that 10 years ago. Like, that's nothing, well, I'm a member here, and I should have had a vote on this. I'm like, well, obviously, you haven't been here in 10 years. So you think you have a voice into this thing when you have not been a member here for 10 years. And you could just do the research. I'm sure every single one of us has some story of some church split, of some church drama that divided the church right down the middle. And I'm just saying, what if we just said, no, we're going to stay biblical. We're going to put a few men in charge of this thing, and we're going to trust that leadership, and we're going to follow them wherever they go. Whatever they deem fit, because there is, and we'll get to it, there are high expectations for elders, way higher than any church member. And if an elder doesn't meet these qualifications, they are dismissed from eldership. So biblically, we see them putting way much more stock in what the elders pray and decide to do as opposed to congregationalism that will lead to a split, that can lead to division, that can lead to drama over carpet. Am I preaching yet? Over a steeple. Over, you, you fill in the blanks, but over fried chicken. I've heard that story before too. So we're saying, well, no, we're just going to, based on what we see in the bib biblical definition, we're going to avoid that. Uh, now what about deacons? Yes. Now, as a church, we don't officially have deacons yet, but the two offices we see built up in Scripture in the New Testament is the elder of the office, uh, elder, office of the elder, excuse me, and office of the deacon. Um, so we believe, based on Scripture, the word pastor is only used once in the New Testament. So elder, pastor are synonymous, and then you have deacons. So the elders help the servant leader over the church. They cast a vision. They decide the direction, and the deacons are there to serve the church, to love the church, um, to make sure the church is cared for and nurtured more, the boots-on-the-ground style of leadership. And, and we believe in those, even though um, yet we don't have um, ordained deacons within the church. Raise your hand if you're a missional community leader. So functionally, the people that just raise their hands are the deacons of this church. They shepherd their body. They love on their body of missional communities. They serve them. They take care of them. Whatever they need happens by these MC leaders. So we would say, man, those are the deacons. Those are the ones that are fulfilling that office of the deacon. So what does this mean then for us? For the past three years, we've only had pastors. Uh, what does this mean? So uh, right now we have Kyle and Ricky, who Kyle's a community pastor. Ricky is the family pastor. It means nothing for them. They keep doing their job the same. Nothing changes. Uh, nothing is different for them. Uh, myself, I've been the kind of lead pastor guy. Um, so here in a minute, I'm going to take that lead role off, and I'm going to become one of the five. So my vote no more carries any more weight than the other four guys do. My vote is going to get outvoted a lot, which it should. I'm going to lower myself into this body of elders. Lower sounds really stuck up, doesn't it? 
Um, but that's what's happening. I'm, I'm taking the, the leader off. I'm walking into, I'm submitting to these guys. And as a group of five men, we're going to make the decisions for the direction of the church. Sound good? So um, as we started to get into the characteristics of an elder, uh, let me introduce the elders for you real fast. And they're going to come up later, but not yet. Um, you've got myself. Um, you've got Rob Staples, who's in the back. You've got Jeremy Lavender, who's in the back. You've got Greg Dodd, who is in the back. Uh, and then you've got Matthew Thomas is in the back. Um, now here's what this means about leadership, right? That they're just serving behind you guys. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know why they're all sitting in the back. So um, those are the four men plus myself. And, and so we'll kind of go through First Timothy 3, 1 through 7 to understand what qualifies them. I read this list really quickly last week. I'm going to expound upon it a little bit. If you weren't here last week, one of the things we did was um, I said, okay, here are the qualifications of an elder. If you need to talk to me about it, talk to me about it. Uh, by Thursday at noon, if you, and this was last Thursday, if you have a biblical reason why one of these men is not qualified to be an elder, so I need an email, let's talk about it. And we would postpone the process or, or just in the process for some of the men if you had a biblical reason why uh, they were not fit to be an elder. Uh, I didn't receive any emails, not even by Thursday by noon, but just in general. Um, so that is a sign for me that saying you guys are um, accepting of these elders that we are, that have gone through the process with me this summer and that we're going to be commissioning this morning. So 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not a violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall, fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, we've got about 13 qualifications for eldership that we just, I'm going to go through really briefly. Um, this could take, I mean, Lord willing, one day I want to do a full like, series on the offices of the church, uh, but that's not going to be today. So let me kind of fly through these really quick. Um, the first characteristic is noble task. So what they are pursuing, what these elders are pursuing is a noble task. They're not coming here to lord their power over anyone. Uh, to, here's what I mean by this. When we moved into the gym on Sunday mornings back uh, Easter of this year, uh, this year, yes, Easter of this year, all four of these men, plus myself, were here at 7.30 to help set up and no one asked them to. So we said, hey, if you want to come help set up, if you want to help do this thing, because we set up a chair down every single week, um, show up at 7.30, you're not required, but it would, it would help us a ton if you could be here. Uh, all four of these men showed up at 7.30 almost every single morning. Noble task, right? They weren't showing up at 7.30 for the glory or the donuts that we occasionally buy. They're showing up because they're servant leaders. Uh, the next one is above reproach. Quickly, uh, we should say, uh, above reproach just means when I announce these men and we talk about these names, no one should have gone, that guy? Really? 
Like, no one should have said that, that they should be so wealthy, they should be so respected, their lives should be above reproach that no one can bring a charge against them. The next one, number three, husband of one wife. This means that he's a one-woman man. Now, there's a lot of debate, and we don't really have time to go into this here. Uh, does this mean that the uh, elder can never have been divorced? No, that's not what that means. There's circumstances based on the Bible that say divorce is permissible in some different offenses. But is that man committed to his wife? Is he a one-woman man? Now, two of our elders are single, so that made that part easy. Um, number four, sober-minded. Um, this simply just means, is he wise? Is he steady? Is he consistent? Um, Ephesians 4 would put it this way, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So is, this, is he a sober-minded man? Does he have control of his thoughts? Um, is he always changing, chasing the flavor of the week? Is he super emotional where he's always back and forth? Or is he just calm, wise, collected, sober-minded? The next one, self-controlled. Do um, you need me to explain that? Not by controlled by anything else. Pretty easy. Um, this, the next one, hospitable hospitable. Now, here's something that Martha Stewart has totally taken over and just abused, and that's why she went to prison. Um, hospitable does not mean that you're going to have the greatest uh, decoration on your table at Thanksgiving. Hospitable just means that you love people and you want to serve people wherever that takes place, including people that are far away from Jesus. Now, again, let me just brag on some of these elders. Um, there are two elders in this group that specifically bought their house so that they could be hospitable to large groups of people. So in the home buying process, they said this is going to be a more of a sacrifice for us month to month to afford this house, but we just want people over. We want to show hospitality, so we're going to go ahead and purchase this house so that we can be hospitable. That's what that means. Uh, the next one. And I'm, I'm going to come back to this, so I'll skip over it really quickly. Um, they're able to teach. Able to teach. Now, simply put, that just means they know what's in the Bible and they can teach it. That does not mean that they're ever going to have to get on this stage, prepare a sermon and all that stuff. But able to teach, meaning they know the Bible and they can teach it. Number eight, and this is where some of you are going to storm out and walk out of here. But not a drunkard does not mean that you can't drink means that you cannot be a drunkard, that you cannot be addicted to alcohol. And you guys can uh, beat me up in that over. I know some Baptist people just uh, shot me the bird, but that's what it says. Uh, number nine, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Now, I want to spend just a second on this one because I think it's important. Um, you can be a gentle giant and still stick up for what's right. So just because it says not quarrelsome, not violent, but gentle. These elders are going to have a season of time in ministry where we're going to have to say, listen, you hate this, and I get it, and we're going to pick this fight because we think this is what the Lord's asked us to do. Now, if the elders are always looking for fights, they're always looking for quarrels, um, that's a problem. But if an el elder is so gentle that he can't walk into conflict when the Bible asks us to, uh, that's another issue. So we're landing right in the plane of, we don't want to have a quarrel, we don't want to have a fight, uh, but if we're defending scripture, we're going to. So there's a sweet middle spot within there. Um, number 10, not a lover of money. Doesn't mean they can't have money, but it's not what controls them. Um, number 11, 
manage his household well, keeping his children submissive. Here's the, here's the part that I hate about this. Keeping his children submissive with all dignity. Why do you have to part, put that part in there? Because I've got, I've got four kids, right? Like I've got uh, almost one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a six-year-old. I can keep my kids submissive, but sometimes it's not the most dignified thing, right? Can I get amen, parents? Help me out here. They will submit, but you don't want to watch how I make them submit, right? The box of shame is a real thing in our house. Just kidding. Um, so really, though, the, the core of what this is trying to teach is that if you cannot lead your household, how can we trust you to lead this church? If you cannot shepherd your household well, how are we going to entrust you to lead this body that God has asked us to entrust you to lead? Now, does that mean that you're responsible for your child's salvation? By no means. No man can force someone else to become a Christian. That's only an act of the Spirit. It's only the act of God the Father sending God the Son uh, to die for our sins, and then the God the Spirit reveals that through the process of regeneration in our souls. So this does not mean that if your kid's not a Christian, you cannot be an elder. But did you lead your house with all dignity? Did you lead your house with all dignity? Number 12, um, must not be a recent convert. The reasoning there that uh, Paul gives is pretty smart um, so that you don't get, if you're a recent convert, oh, you're in here, you're going to get puffed up with conceit. Uh, And the last one, number 13, is thought well by outsiders. Thought well by outsiders. And this is a big one too. Um, And elders, you probably don't know this, but I did some mail or some, some checking on you guys. I emailed and text guys that I hadn't talked to or some of them ever. I said, give me your opinion. What's your thoughts on this guy becoming an elder? Do you, do you think that they are thought of well by outsiders? Do you consider them honorable enough for this role? And obviously, because we've got to this process, I didn't, I didn't get a red flag at all. Here's what this means. Are you one of the best employees at your work? Is your boss going to say, I don't really believe in this guy's religion, but he works his tail off here. I respect this guy. Again, in one of our elders' meetings, as we're preparing for this morning, um, two of the guys were just casually talking about uh, how long they've been at their current company. One has been 30-plus years. Do you think that that person is thought well by outsiders? To have a tenure of a job for 30-plus years, of course he has. Of course he has. So, Timothy, that is the qualifications for the elders. Now, elders... This is the part of the ceremony, the the marriage ceremony. I'm talking directly to you, but I need everyone else to hear what I'm charging you with. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, flip over to 1 Peter 5 for me. 1 Peter 5, so you can see I'm, I'm taking this charge straight from the Bible. But church, don't get too crazy, you're next. I'm coming for you. 1 Peter 5. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's some on the tables. Man, take that. If you don't own one, we want you to have Scripture. We want you to see that I'm not making this stuff up. So please take one with you. 1 Peter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So let me start at verse 4 and kind of work our way back. Elders, uh, this might be the most difficult thing we ever do in our life. Shepherding this flock that God has asked and has trusted us to might be the hardest thing we've ever done. There's a really daunting verse in Hebrews 13 that says, but by you guys becoming elders of the church, uh, you're going to be judged. We're going to be judged by how we shepherd this flock. Sleep well with that one tonight, boys. So what do we do? As elders, what am I entrusting you with in church? I need you guys to hear this. The first thing that we do is we lead. The second thing is we shepherd. The third thing is we teach. So the first thing is that we lead. How do we lead? Two different ways. The first is that we govern. We govern. I know that word, especially with the politics of America today, govern just isn't a good word. But in the Greek, uh, that word actually means to steer. So as elders, as we're leading this congregation, um, we're steering all the way through. And he, here's what I mean. Matthew 28, and trust us, Jesus' words, go and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I command you. Remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In that passage, did Jesus tell us how? He told us to go and make disciples, but did he actually give us the nuts and bolts of how to make that happen? So elders, as we're leading, we're having to study scripture in this process called contextualization. What does this mean for us today? How do we steer the church towards the command of making disciples? How do we lead the church in doing this? Another one, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as yourself. How? Elders, we're to steer our people into that direction. Uh, The other one is to serve. So as we lead, we govern and we serve. Matthew 20, 25 through 28 says this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So elders, we lead the church by governing, by steering the way we should go, and by serving. The second command that we see from 1 Peter is that we are to shepherd. Now that word shepherd is not really uh, one. Any shepherds in here? Just curious, anybody have some sheep? You push around, no? Okay, so the word shepherd does not necessarily ring true in a lot of our lives, but it's it's a sweet biblical picture of what it looks like for us to shepherd. The first thing is that we care. As shepherds, we care deeply for the flock that we manage. We care. A lot of, just example, a lot of my wife and I's conversations is about you guys. And not in a gospel way, like, can you believe what she did? Oh, my goodness. It's none of that stuff. It's, man, can you believe the brokenness that's going on? What should we do? Did you hear about so-and-so? Like, I cannot, we've got to pray. So we shepherd because we care. The second one is that we protect that we protect. So when we've got um, a sheep running around, or a wolf running around in sheep's clothing, we need to recognize that, we need to see that, and we need to shoot to kill. 
that if our main role as a shepherd is to protect the sheep that we have within our fold, that means if lions and bears and all this stuff come to attack the congregation that we shepherd, we don't play around with that. That we shoot to kill. That we end that, not literally, we're not really killing anybody, just so you know. But we end that before it turns into a big deal. So we protect and that's protecting from outsiders, but here's the one you're not going to like. We also discipline, meaning we protect you from you. So we're going to protect you guys from the outside, but we're also going to protect you guys from yourself. Church discipline, what is outlined in Matthew 18, is going to be a real thing for us. Not because we want to be some power-hungry jerk that's trying to control your life, but because our, our, what God has entrusted us to be is to make you more like Christ. Now, in the biblical days, if, and even shepherds today, if a sheep keeps wandering away, do you know what they do? Break its legs. Break the sheep's legs, pick it up, and carry him for a season until his legs are healed, and let him go again. So church, hear me. If you choose to submit to the branch church, there might be hard seasons where the elders are going to have to make the hard call to enter into church discipline and break your legs. That I mean Literally. But we're doing it for your joy, man. We're doing it because Hebrew 13 says we're going to have to account for how we shepherd you. And if we let you run in sin, that's going to lead to death. What does that say about us and our character? And the last things that we do as a shepherd is we encourage. As a Christian, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but if you haven't experienced it, you might not be doing it right. As we choose to follow Christ, we're going to go into really, really hard days. Jesus is going to lead us into seasons of life where we wish we weren't. He's going to put us in situations and rooms where we're the only light, we're the only hope in that room, and all we want to do is crawl into the corner and get away. But we're going to have to walk into that room, walk into that situation with a hope of glory. And the elders are there to encourage you and to push you into that process. The last one is to teach. Now, when we say teach, here's what we mean. Here's the definition of teach. To show or explain how to do something. To show or explain how to do something. Now, here's what I learned early on as a communicator. Now, between, depending on the study you read, 80 to 90% of communication skills is nonverbal. 80 to 90% of communication is non, it's not the words I'm saying, it's literally these 10 things moving around. That's what draws your attention. So the first, when I first started preaching, I used to put my hands in my pockets. Um, so you know what we did? Took my pants off, duct taped the pockets, put them back in so I cannot put my hands in my pockets. Because communication is verbal. Another thing I would do, and I still do it some, I talk really, really fast. Anyone else notice that? So my pastor at the time would put a pin cap in my shoe to every time I took a step, it hurt really, really bad. So literally every step I took, I need to slow down. I need to slow down. Why am I saying all this? When we use the word teach, 80 to 90% of that is to model and set an example for you. It's not some guy on stage talking. So when we use the word teach, what we mean is to set an example for the church in word and deed. Yes, my calling here is to preach the gospel. But that does not mean that every elder is going to be up here. We're going to be rotating every single week. There might be an elder that never teaches publicly from the stage. But they would not have been chosen if they didn't know the Bible, they didn't know the gospel, and were able to teach it and model it for you guys. That's what we mean when we say teach. 
Verse 3 says um, in 1 Peter 5, being examples to the flock. Being examples. So teaching does not necessarily mean a proclamation, but being examples. Have you all heard the saying that more is caught than taught? Have you heard this? More caught than taught. That's what we mean when we say able to teach. Now the other part of that is, uh, if I ever say or anyone on stage ever says something that's not true to the text, the elders, one of their main responsibility in falling under teaching is that they're to call me on it and we're supposed to make that right. So they're guarding closely the doctrine of the church. Now elders, just a couple of things. That's what we do. How do we do this? Uh, Number one, we do it eagerly. Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive unfading crown of glory. We're doing this eagerly. We're fighting for it because it matters. And in the end, it's going to pay dividends. We do this eagerly. I mean, what would you say if I came home and said, oh, is it date night? Uh, okay, whatever. I'll go take a bath real quick. We'll go take a shower and go eat something to dinner. Do you think my wife would be in love with me with that process? Oh, you're so eager to go out to eat. I love this. So elders, we're to do it eagerly. Uh, number two, we're supposed to do it by example. And number three, we just need to be humble. This process is going to be a long, drawn-out process. We're getting messy with people in their sin, in our sins. We just need to be humble before the Lord through this process. Church, you ready for you? Here's the charge to the church. Here's what I'm asking you to do. And it comes from two places, Hebrews 13, 17, uh, and 1 Peter 5, 5. Hebrews first, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not groaning, for that would be at no advantage to you. In 1 Peter 5, be subject to the elders, clothe yourself with all humility, toward one another for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble so church real quick I'm running out of time so I'm going to skip over you so I don't beat you up some Uh, the first one is just you you need to submit God is asking us to submit now as Christians this is something that should not be afraid to us that we're constantly asking or God is asking us to submit ourselves under him and his lordship so submission for Christians is a really really good thing so we're asking you guys to submit we're asking you guys to humble yourselves. First uh, Peter lays that out with all humility towards one another. Uh, just humble yourselves in your process of submission. The third one would be trust. Would you guys just trust that we have studied Scripture, we have read through Scripture, we think that this is the biblical way for us to organize the church and going forward when we have inch issues, when we have drama, Lord willing we won't, but we probably will. Would you guys just trust that we understand as elders the weight of Hebrews 13, that we understand that we're going to have to give an account for this. And would you just trust that with much fear, with much prayer, and much conversation, we've come to this decision today. Would you guys do that for us? Would you just trust us? And the last is, would you just have patience with us? Uh, As we are now three years old as a church, we've screwed a ton of things up a lot of things up. And for that, we've always quick to apologize, quick to repent uh, in the same way as we're developing this elder process. Would you just have patience with us? Would you give us the benefit of the doubt? I think one of the um, greatest sins among church and church leaders is that no one gives grace. No one gives the benefit of the doubt. No one says, I think they genuinely do love Jesus, so I'm going to hear them out on this one. 
you guys just come, and we all do, just come to rash decisions and throw out judge and throw shade, and it doesn't end well. So would you just have patience with us? So that is what elders do. That is the charge to the elders. That is the charge to the church. So here's what we're going to do now. Uh, I'm going to ask the elders and their spouses to come sit up front um, in these chairs. Have you all been wondering what these chairs were for? No? Okay, cool. Um, So that's what you're going to come do. Uh, As they're coming up, let me introduce Jojo Thomas. Um, So Jojo is going to grab a microphone from Dylan. And Jojo is uh, our director of missions for the Chattahoochee Baptist Association. Um, So he's the one that kind of helps shepherd and leads the pastors that leads the church around uh, North Georgia area. Um, So my man Jojo is going to take this process from here, and he's going to... um, say a few words and then invite you guys. I don't know how, uh, is this your first time, not your first time, but uh, we're kind of charismatic in our Baptist ways. Um, so once JoJo finishes his commissioning, um, we're going to ask all you guys to come up and uh, to lay hands on these elders and their wives and to pray over us as we're commissioned as elders. Sound good? All yours, JoJo. Amen. Thanks, Gabe. I think it's interesting that as Gabe introduced this message today and set this up that he used the analogy of a marriage because we all see so many different human organizations whether it's a company or a team or whatever it is and in so many organizations even sometimes in churches when it comes to leadership it's really about how somebody controls somebody else I mean, the CEO in a company it's about how he controls in, in far too many cases how he controls all the people in that company. And when it comes to God's church, it's never about how anybody controls somebody else. It's more like a marriage. Because in a marriage, even though a husband and wife have different roles, they have the same purpose, they have the same goal, the same hopes, they work together. And it's never about how a husband controls a wife or a wife controls a husband. It's always about how they serve each other. And so here we are today, commissioning these servants. And it's God's church, it's not a company. And it's not about how they will control any of you. It's about how they serve you. And the truth is, as in just a minute, we invite all of you up to gather around them and pray. It is like a marriage like a marriage where they have a specific role and their role is given to them by God and and then today you commission them, you acknowledge that this is appropriate and right. And, And like a marriage, they make commitments here today. And so do you. Marriages are always, there are two parties involved, it's never one sided and so just to kind of reiterate some passages that Gabe has already referred to today so that everybody here understands your part in this marriage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Gabe just referred to it. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Your part in this marriage as God's people, as God's church, is to respect these leaders. And to the degree that you can, Respect the role God has given them and the burden that this includes, which is not an easy thing. Gabe made reference to the fact that 
because of their role in serving you, they will give an account to God. And that is not an easy burden to carry. I think about the passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about his role, his, his place of serving all of God's churches. He says, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without, without my intense concern? And you may never understand the complete level of burden that goes with being an elder, with being intensely concerned for every person that's a part of God's church, being grieved whenever someone steps off the path, with never being able to be completely at rest about the fact that everybody is not exactly where they need to be as God's child. And this is a, a heavy burden to carry, and these men have agreed to serve you in this way. So pray for them, respect them, submit to them. Their role, as Gabe has already referred to in, in the book of First Peter, in the fifth chapter, shepherd the flock of God among you. This is the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God among you. It's not your flock. It's God's flock precious to him. Jesus died for each and every person in the church. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. They're not here to control, they're here to serve nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So this is a marriage today. They're making commitments, and so are you. And together, as God's church, you take this step to move forward to accomplish what God has called you as his church to do. That is the highest and holiest part of all of this. Not how we structure to do it, but the fact that we're committed to accomplish the Great Commission together. And elders are a part of allowing us to, to take that step, to make progress in that. So let me ask you, if you would, I'm just going to invite everybody, if you would, as many as you would like to, just to come and to gather around these folks, lay hands on them, and then I'll voice a prayer for us in just a second. Y'all come on up. let's pray. Father, you give us every good and perfect gift. Each breath we take, each beat of our heart. Father, the food that we enjoy, the families that surround us, our friends, our loved ones, our church family, Lord, these are all gifts that are not accidental, but they come from you. And Father, the gift of leaders the gift of people who are willing to shoulder this burden and to love us and to serve us 
Father, to be so intensely concerned that they never rest until we are all that we can be. Father, we thank you for these leaders. And Lord, we lift up a prayer for them. We understand that their burden is a unique one, a special one, one that we may never understand in total. But Father, we understand that it is a, a genuine burden and a deep burden and one that we should be compassionate for. And we lift them up to you. We lift their families up to you. Ask that you would give them wisdom. Ask, Father, that you would give them patience, give them stamina, give them courage. Father, give them the awareness of how to contextualize the gospel as has been said today. Give them the grace to know how to lead us and be examples to all of us. And Father, on our part, give us grace to love them, serve them, and support them. And all of us together, Father, give us grace to bring glory to you by being a church that accomplishes the work you've called us to do. Go with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you guys are grabbing a seat, here's, here's how we'll kind of land the plane this morning. Because I know there's um, a tendency to say, oh man, this is awesome. I know some of you, this might be your first time and you're really freaked out right now. It's, it's good. Just keep coming back. Um, the tendency is going to say, man, look at, look at these men. Look how awesome this is. Look, look at what they're doing. Look at this. And we're going to say, no, no, no. Um, we are here to serve you to make you look at Christ. That's the main role that we have. And so as a way to symbolize this this morning, we end uh, almost every gathering the same way. We stop to remember how good Jesus is through communion. And so in a minute, I'm going to dismiss the elders to both communion tables, um, and they're going to serve you guys communion this morning to symbolize that this is not look at us. Our constant goal is to force you to look at Christ. That's what we do. That's what we're trying to accomplish and so if you're not yet a believer here, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here. I know you probably have questions. Uh, I'd love to get to know you. Our elders would love to get to know you and discuss with you. Um, but here's what we're going to ask. As we enter into a time of communion, um, we would say, hey, maybe just sit this part out. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why, but this means so much to us as Christians because this is the time we get to stop and reflect what Jesus has done for us. That even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so the bread represents his body and the juice represents his blood, that we get to remember his great love for us. That's what we do. And so remember this morning that this isn't about us. This isn't about uh, you guys. This is about what God has done for us and what he's doing for us, that we have been saved, that we are being saved, and we will be saved into future glory. That's what we do, and that's who we are. Um, so I'm going to pray. The lights are going to go back down, and, and then we'll go into a time of communion with the elders and their spouses serving you guys out this morning. Sound good? Let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for what you're doing. God, this is clearly of you. This is nothing that we've done. This is no structure that we've designed. And Father, you've given us instructions for this. And so God, this morning, my, my greatest fear in, in ordaining and commissioning these elders is that anyone in this room would think it's about us as elders. God, what it is about is about you and your kingdom and your glory. So God, would we remember how good you are to us? Would we remember your love for us 
that even when we were dead in our sins, that we could uh, do nothing but sin, you sent your son to die for us. And Father, after three days, that that death couldn't hold him down anymore, and that he raised and he uh, presented himself to many witnesses, and then he ascended into heaven to show his power and authority over death and our sins. And for that, God, we're so grateful. So God, thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for sending us these men to help lead this church, God. But would we never move on? Would we never move past your gospel, your truth? That you made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be our sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel. So Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in your name that we pray.